0: Every day, 34 people in their 20s and 30s are diagnosed with cancer.
1: On the 7th of July, 2015, I was one of the 34.
0: On the 28th of August, 2008, I was one of the 34.
1: These are the stories of what happens afterwards.
0: This is Afterthoughts. Hello, Alice. Hello, Toby. How are you? Good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I am. Um, I'm, I'm. I'm less buzzy than I was earlier because um, I was very buzzy during our Karen Hobbs uh, chat today.
1: Yeah, you were quite buzzy. All of the sugar, all of the caffeine, all of the vitamin C. And
0: it, and it was Karen Hobbs, really. Uh, well, like, I
1: mean, if anyone's going to make you buzzy, it's Cancer's Karen Hobbs. <laughs>
0: Kansas Karen Hobbs and we've both seen Karen uh live before we've seen her her show we've seen her stand-up you even feature in her original stand-up show right
1: yes I do well my voice features in her um show um I can't even remember what I
0: think
1: I think my voice is in it a couple of times but right. I couldn't tell you what I say
0: what did you say to me earlier you said uh, I think I had a deep line
1: I think there was some. I think it was quite powerful, yeah. Oh,
0: powerful that was.
1: Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, Karen is a um, a storyteller, so she's a pro. Um, she's a comedian. She works for the Eve Appeal, um, and she has her one woman um, stand up cancer show, Tumor Has It. Um, but I feel like we should let Karen do the talking. So shall we just jump in?
0: Let's get in.
1: Hi, Alice. Hi, Toby. How are you?
0: Um, I'm a little bit um, buzzy because I've had a, a coffee and a vitamin C drink and some uh, Scottish tablet. How are you?
1: Yeah, I'm very well and <laughs> absolutely <laughs> delighted uh, to be joined by Cancer's Karen Hobbs. Yay! How are you?
2: <laughs> well, I Karen. thought I was okay until I started speaking to you two. To be honest. <laughs>
0: Karen, tell tell us, you're already in tears, which is the first, like, it's the first tears we've ever had on this uh, podcast. Why are you you in tears?
2: So you've been doing a podcast about cancer and I'm the first person to cry. Wow, what a roller coaster. Um, I'm crying. It's got nothing to do with cancer, um, which doesn't quite fit. It's because I feel, do you ever get those times where something that's so surprising but so mundane just makes you well up and you can't control it? no they don't right great okay thanks listeners uh i'm going um i found out alice doesn't drink tea and she is the person that looks like the biggest tea drinker i've ever seen she's got like a fluffy blue cardigan and a frilly white blouse collar, Hello. and she's just and she's just got a mug of squash, and she Jeez. says she doesn't drink tea, and I would have just so thought of her as a tea drinker, and I just I just burst into tears before we started recording. So I'm really <laughs> excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me. I feel like that's
1: really kind of set the tone for how yes. how today is going to go, and I'm very excited. Yeah, and I I see what you mean. Like I, if ever there was a person who. Looks like they should drink tea, and kind of acts like they should drink tea. I'm a very mm-hmm. hungry person. I like reading books, You knit like my cat, and I write. I I am the per, sort of person who should drink tea, but and I'm from Yorkshire as well. But no, uh, do Do you, tea, do
0: don't you ever? Do you ever go? I'm going to give it a. Going to give it a try.
1: I don't think I don't think I've ever had a cup of tea. What? That
0: I mean, that's the insane. You don't thing know what you're like. That you've never know.
1: had one. I just don't want to.
0: <laughs> so it's just on principle now?
1: Well, I just have no interest in it. Right, Alice, what's your favourite biscuit? A uh, dark chocolate digestive straight from the fridge. Right. Do you not ever want to moisten it? No. Which is weird because, like, I'm a really big fan. I, I, I'm, well, I'm fundamentally against a dry
2: chip. Yeah. Right. Okay. So that yeah. is... The the sauce, the gravy, whatever, right? The tea is the gravy to the biscuit. I just think that's what saliva's for when it comes to biscuits. It's, How much saliva have you got that you can wet a whole biscuit? That's why I drink. A soft, she's a good it? girl. She's a good girl. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but okay, so you, nice. You've never, you've never had any any tea. Have you had a Have you had a cup of coffee before?
1: What? I, I'm learning this now. One
0: you've had a cold
2: one oh not oh. a whole one
0: a whole one right okay was you oh my word this is I mean this has changed everything right now
2: I do feel really differently to how I felt 15 minutes ago as I was opening my laptop
1: <laughs> do you want to leave I don't like it do you regret <laughs> the decision to join
2: us I don't know if I would have said yes if I'd had the benefit of hindsight Alice, to be honest with you. <laughs> um Okay, right. Karen
0: Hobbs. Are you okay, ready go. for your quick fire questions?
2: I am so ready. Okay. <laughs>
0: Karen, could you please tell us what your pronouns are, please? I am she
2: and her. Who do people say you look like? Um, Amanda Seyfried, but she's five foot two and I'm five foot ten. So... Like we would be maybe cousins at best.
0: <laughs> what film defines your childhood?
2: Oh, oh, okay. What film defines my child? Oh, Sound of Music. Uh, who's a hero? Oh my god! Uh, 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 uh. I ha- okay, all of the, all of the strong female friendships. I have all of those people are my heroes.
0: Mm. Um, nicknames. What's mm. your favourite one that you have?
2: Tootsie Girl.
1: <laughs> if you could only listen to one song for the rest of your life, what would you choose?
2: Oh, my God, yeah, okay. Right, one song for the rest of my life. Um. It would be... Uh, definitely something by a woman. There's a theme of pissy power here. Um, okay, it would be... Uh, is this the slowest quick fire round you've ever had no (laughs) okay oh really okay good Okay. Uh, okay the one song for the rest of my life it would be oh oh um the song by Celine Dion where it's like you were my strength when <laughs> I was weak you were my voice when I couldn't speak whatever that one was i am everything I'm not eyes when, I when I couldn't, I couldn't see, see. saw All the best the, the world of me. me lifted me up when, up when I couldn't reach, reach. you gave me the same as you believed I'm, I'm, everything, I'm I am, everything I am because you love me by Celine Dion
1: yes nice yeah
0: roller coasters Mm. love them or hate them
1: oh yeah bring it on fuck it Uh, what's your (laughs) favourite way to eat a
2: potato oh roasted or actually or creamy mash with like parmesan chives and mustard oh I fucking love potatoes I keep swearing I bloody love potatoes (laughs) yes yes thank you Karen
0: and Karen last one could you please (laughs) tell the listeners uh, what your diagnosis
2: was yeah. Imagine if I hadn't had cancer in a year old and who just got someone on for a chat. Um, yes, I uh, had cervical cancer um, at the end of twenty fourteen.
1: As always, first of all, we are going to talk about beyond a diagnosis. Um, The diagnosis story is one that I'm sure every cancer patient can rattle off as if it is a scripted piece. We want to delve into the moments that happen afterwards beyond that diagnosis. So that's what we're doing with this section. Over to Karen
2: to tell us a story of beyond a diagnosis. Survived my surgery, which you know is very likely, so I don't want it to sound like it was a miracle. And um, he, uh, we, so the first time I had sex after surgery was with him. <laughs> That's very good of me, wasn't it? Um, and we, um I hadn't had sex for a, a long time because the diagnosis of my cervix and I have penis and vagina sex. So it was a big deal. I've been kind of building up to it. I was worried about how I was going to feel. And when we had sex, it was fine. But that's not the story. It's not a sex story, which is very surprising to me. Um, but I, we were, we were in bed afterwards. I say bed, it was the mattress on the floor of his house share in Birmingham. And we were looking um, at his phone, he was showing me something and um, you know when someone uh, sends a sort of WhatsApp message and you get um, their name pop up, so say Alice you messaged me, it would flash up on my phone Alice and then the first line of the message when my phone screen is open uh, and someone who was a saved contact uh, popped up and it said, hi Mark, are you free on... and." This worried me because it was a saved contact. It wasn't an unknown number. And it said, hi, Mark. And his name isn't Mark. So alarm bells started ringing. And I said, show me the rest of the message because there was only the preview. He said, no, 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 it's the wrong number. And I said, well, I can see that it's a saved contact. It's not a row of numbers. It's say the name is Sam. Uh, And eventually, because I was going off on one and I knew something was going wrong, he showed me the message and basically this man um, who had messaged him was booking him as uh, an escort for his wife that following weekend and he uh it turns out this is you know through a whole sort of this maybe started to unravel at about 11 p.m we were up talking about it until about 3 a.m but because I don't have the four hours to recite the datum to you it turns out he had been working um, as a sex worker, which I am in full support of sex work. I've got some friends that do sex work. I don't think that is a bad thing. I think the lying, the deceit, the, um, the double life he was living from his partner, is the thing I had a problem with. And, you know, personally, if I'd have known he was doing this, I wouldn't have continued the relationship because I I wouldn't choose that. Some people do. That's fine. Hashtag no judgment. Um, So, yeah, it turns out he had been working as a male prostitute called, or sex worker, however you want to phrase it, uh, called Mark. And he'd done it for years and had failed to tell me and had started to, you know, pick things up again whilst I was in hospital. So we had started to yeah, to meet these wives, these unsatisfied wives, uh, and anyway, the vulnerability—the I would say weakness, but I don't mean weakness in a in a derogatory or kind of oh that was so weak of me, or if someone else were to tell this story and it was labelled as weakness. I don't want it to seem like I'm thinking badly of myself or someone maybe in a similar situation although it's a pretty unique situation so if anyone else any of your other guests on this podcast have got a similar story I will be royally hacked off um so the vulnerability the weaker side of it is that I was so quite literally it sounds graphic I was quite literally raw from what had happened my my body was lit my vagina was literally wrought and healing from everything that had happened and I was so delicate as a person I was l- sore physically and I was sore emotionally um and I let it go and I said okay um I was obviously upset I didn't you know pretend I was okay with it but I was I was in tears I was questioning things I was wanting to know probably, too intricate. detail about scenarios where he would meet people etc because for me how could I have not known that that this was all going on so therefore I needed every detail I guess um and uh and yeah the sort of vulnerable the weakness that I wanted to talk about was that if I had felt stronger in myself and at less of a crossroads and a sort of wow I've survived this you know god let's hope checkups go okay fork in fork in my life I would have no way carried on being with him I would have said this is not for me you are a lying knobhead get out of my life but I was weak I was vulnerable I had just gone through this massive disruption and I couldn't face another disruption so close so that was the moment of weakness but the moment of strength when I'd had a couple of checkups because at th- that point it was three monthly checkups that's the sort of you know initial um pathway checkup pathway for, for what I had and I, I didn't have to have chemo or radiotherapy so I sometimes feel like I haven't had enough cancer to be um, a cancer survivor or to be a guest on cancer related discussions on podcasts but um it was just surgery in air quotes so um for me it was three monthly checkups after the surgery and after I had three of those under my belts, we're at the nine month ish mark at this point um we moved in together and I shouldn't have moved in with him everyone knows I shouldn't have moved in with him but I did move in with him because again I didn't want to lose something else when i'd already lost such a big piece of myself in recent months so we moved in together three weeks after we moved in together i found out by email and I was at work at the time that again long story short well not short but shorter um he had since the sex worker revelation he had been seeing an ex and she had emailed me photos of them in our bed together when I wasn't there and she didn't know about me, so I don't think I would have gone about it in the exact same way as she had if I had been wanting to tell the partner, if the person that I was sleeping with. But I would have told them. I would have just just done it a little bit more delicately, without kind of the attached image. And you're downloading it, and then it's your boyfriend and someone else's tit uh, in your on your pillow. um But the moment I found that out, I phoned him and I said, I've just had this email from X. And he obviously couldn't deny it. We tried to, and I was like, I've got actual photographic evidence. Anyway, all all of the, you know, the affair, the secrets unfurl again, as they did with the first story, the sex work while in hospital story. And because I had three checkups under my belt, and it was statistically less and less likely that there would be a recurrence or there would be need for extra treatment because the surgery hadn't gone well. I thought, you know what, I'm going to survive this, i.e. the cancer stuff. I think it is really just a blip, and that's what statistics and checkups suggest. And I looked at this message, these emails from this woman, and I just was on the phone to him and was reading the emails whilst on the phone to him, thinking, come on, girl, for God's sake. So I cut him off at that point, and I have never felt more relief but also more regret that I didn't do it sooner. And I've never felt more like in the chick flick version, movie version of my life. That would be the montage where things really start to kick off and I'm released from that bad spell that encompassed not just a diagnosis, but the most, and the, and the relationship was awful for many reasons as well, which you know we won't have time to go into, but it was a release from a hugely distressing Period in my life for not just the cancer reasons.
0: The next section on Afterthoughts is a story that's going to showcase some of those invisible impacts of a cancer diagnosis. Over to you, Karen.
2: I think when people find out you are years post um post-treatment, post-surgery, post-diagnosis, and you'll you'll probably be fine at this point. You know, something else might happen illness-wise, but the thing that you know is your defining, you know, you know, and um, calling card, i.e. for me, cancer diagnosis, that's pro- that's pretty likely to be over. Um, and you know, the further you get away from that date you found out, the more people presume that it's having less of an impact on your life because it is over, essentially. And yes, whilst I'm just over six years all clear, which is amazing, hashtag so grateful, hashtag blessed, etc., that doesn't mean that it didn't happen six years ago. Um, and I have always been quite sort of hyper and highly strong as a person and over worrying overthinking as as many people are i'm not saying that's special or unique um but the um it's kind of cliche to say you know like the healing really starts once the surgery or treatment is over and you know it's it's you know it's the mental journey that's the hardest but i just whilst i'm really p- pleased <laughs> i survived obviously the anxiety that comes for me along with what's gone on is something that is quite literally pain every day. I wake up every single day without unless something it's it's very rare that I won't wake up with chest pains. And it is just pure anxiety. And it might be for a different reason. It might be because um I'm nervous about some work I've got to do or whatever. Or I've got a meeting that day and I'm worrying about it. So you know anxiety and all the sort of things that might trigger specific stressful bouts but I know for a fact it always stems back to the panic of making everything as best you can or go as well as you can um because you never know when this might be like the last thing you might be doing and it's just from the pure disbelief it's not it's not that I had cancer because it could have been something else that has propelled me into these sorts of ways of operating it's the fact that I can't believe at 24 that happened to me I just I can't believe how something so huge can happen out of nowhere I didn't feel ill I just bled a bit between periods after sex and I had cancer so that can be real and it's the worst thing ever I find it really hard to operate day to day and kind of relaxing and trusting in things that things will go well or not to put extra pressure on myself. It feels like I'm constantly being chased by this thing. Um, and it's a sort of sand time, a time running out, even though it, it probably won't for me. I'm really lucky. And I remember saying to my surgeon, we'd go for each checkup and it would be, you know, it's always very positive and great like i've not had the, the worst cancer experience in the grand scheme of things and i remember saying to him um well it's coming up to about 3 years and he was really encouraging and positive and i said yeah but what's kind of worst case scenario and i was i was i would always force the poor man to tell me really horrible things because i want because the worst had happened like i was just saying the worst had happened so i always wanted to know worst case scenario because worst case scenario Felt like it was my case scenario because it is the thing that was happening. So I remember him saying, okay, worst case scenario, um, someone had your stage, your surgery, and had a recurrence 14 years later. So in my mind, obviously that's really rare and it's his full-time job is to look after his gynae oncologist. So it's, but I asked for it. I said, I need the worst case scenario for, for people in my situation. And he told me, so now, obviously, I've just celebrated six years all clear, but I'm thinking I've got another eight to go because it's the 14-year mark. He said one sentence. I dragged it out of him. And now that is all I think about. I've got the number. You think you want the year, the number five is always in your head. You want the five years. Then the next milestone is the 10 years. But now all I see since he told me that is the number 14. And I cannot let it go. It, it's just a constant panic stemming from, how the hell can this have happened?
1: Those around us are also affected by a cancer diagnosis, and we know that all too well, whether it's parents, friends, other family members, or even dogs. So we're going to hand over to Karen now so that she can tell us a story about those around us. So
2: I'm an IVF baby. So my mum and dad met when they were 17 and 20. They got married at 19 and 22. And then they tried for 19 years to have a baby. And they um, had several miscarriages. So they could they could get pregnant. Um, not, not that many times, I guess, in 19 years. Um, but, you know, it did happen, but it just didn't stay. So they just kept, you know, losing... The babies at various stages and it just didn't quite work out so they had a round of fertility treatment bam here I am gorgeous but with with great power comes great responsibility and the amount of pressure I have always felt put on me as the only child um which I like being the only child because center stage is my it's my vibe it's my brand but the pressure put on as an only child, but not just without siblings, i.e., you're their one focus, you're the only person they parent and can parent, but the pressure of being that only child that was that was wanted for almost two decades is exhausting. So even when I was little, if I didn't get a good enough mark in a whatever test, I would think. They must be so disappointed that they tried for 19 years and I'm not perfect. Nobody is perfect. But I remember thinking from a young age how crap it must be for them to be a bit disappointed. They weren't disappointed. I just presumed they were because it wasn't 100%, whether it was the test, whether it was if I was naughty and got my pocket money taken away from me, whatever it was. If something wasn't perfect, I felt so guilty that they'd had this one shot at having a child and I was messing it up for them. So when I was diagnosed with cancer, and you know, when you're finding out the staging, when you're going through the scans to work out what the plan of action is, because I didn't know, I was really lucky, I was a relatively early stage. But you didn't know, you don't you, you don't know that on your diagnosis. you just know you have cancer, you don't know how much cancer you have. So the sort of couple of weeks where we're finding out POA and what stage and what the situation what the prognosis is probably going to be there's this real possibility that they might lose me and I love them dearly and I actually hope they don't listen to this but a lot of the time it was made about them it was what could we have done so cervical cancer 99 0.8% 0.8% of the time is caused by a virus called HPV, human papillomavirus. It's um, really common. It's like a, it's like a common cold. Over 80% of us will have it at some point point. Um, and it's passed on through sexual contact. So not just, um, you know, there's lots of and that's what um, cervical screening checks for, it checks for high risk HPV so there are lower strands, lower risk strands that can cause like genital warts that you know are a, a pain but they're not going to kill you and then there are higher risk strands i.e that can develop um, you know, make the cells become abnormal and, and develop into cancer if left untreated. The cervical screening is looking for high risk HPV um, and abnormal cells um, that have the potential to develop into cancer if left untreated. So I was too young for a cervical screening so Because it is caused through sexual contact. There's, you know, for example, I say sexual contact, but my point here is that people, um, lots of women who only have sex with women, um, will have been told, you know, in the past, if they're, you know, I've had like so many fifty-year-old lesbians say, I was told, you know, back in my day, that I didn't need one because I'm gay. No, any type of sexual contact passes this virus on. Any combination of, of genitals touching, whatever, can pass on this virus. So. I didn't know anything about this at the time um, because I was too old for the HPV vaccine that's now in schools and too young for a screening. So one of the first things my mum said when the consultant confirmed that, um, you know, biopsy taken uh, to come back in two weeks. Hello. Yes, it is cancer. I had been preparing myself for it. For her, it was a massive shock. And he was then explaining that, you know, it was caused by type 18, one of the two um strands of high-risk HPV that cause about 70% of cervical cancer. So it's very sort of typical. I wasn't unusual. It was, yeah, one of these high-risk strands uh, that I haven't been vaccinated against. Too young for screening. That's the thing that caused my cancer very, you know, all above board or below belt, however you want to think of it. Um, and my mum was just saying, what could I have done? And she was kind of saying, I did tell you to always use condoms. And I would say, mum, I, I do use condoms a lot of the time, but condoms don't prevent against it So that, because they only cover like most of the penis there's other stuff that's going on as well and, and she was making it about her and blaming herself and I was sat there with the McMillan nurse and the consultant thinking shouldn't we be talking about me because you know this is kind of the one time where it is all about me isn't it the fact that I've got cancer but she was you know so upset and what could I have done I'm so sorry I didn't do enough and oh should I have done something different Um, and I just I was just a bit pissed off that it was one time where it wasn't it shouldn't be about their disappointment or me not being perfect because it's cancer it's not 80% on a maths test it's a deadly disease Um, and I think yeah so yeah I just wanted to talk about the pressure that I felt from being told for 90 you know if we Wanted to have you for 19 years. That from such a young age, knowing what you're carrying on your shoulders and kind of your your two people's whole world in one shot at being a parent, which is what they've always wanted. When that's thrown into uncertainty, that pressure and worry about being a disappointment didn't change for me. And I think it's the one time it should have been not there at all. But yeah, it still was there, and I was still feeling guilty, and I was still feeling the pressure to survive because I wouldn't want to disappoint them.
0: Next up, we have time for a space for those lost conversations that aren't being heard in the cancer community at the moment. So, Karen, it's over to you for the lost conversations section.
2: I don't think. That when we think about a young person with cancer we talk enough about or see enough of the joy that can surround it I think there's such a sadness when you tell someone that you were young and you had cancer or when so I, I saw um socially distanced or all, all above board um a uh went to a friend's garden and there was someone there I hadn't met. So it was, hello, let's call him um Tom. That's not his name. Let's call him Tom. And um, you know, you just sort of chat, how do you know X and all that sort of thing? And uh he I asked what well, he did, he asked what I did, because that's what you do, isn't it? And I said I work for a guy in the cancer charity, the Eve Peel. He hadn't heard of it. Why would he? Um, you know, it's not his world, he's you know, he's a gay guy that's had Nothing like this, you know, happened in his life. So why would he know about a gynae cancer charity? And uh, he's like, oh, "That's really, you know, I do the information awareness and run the run the helpline and give talks about gynae health." And he said, "How on earth did you get into that?" And I said, "Well, I had cervical cancer when I was twenty-four. Started writing and talking about it and being quite sort of open and public about it, and you know, for, for many reasons." And uh, and he started crying he honestly this was the other day this was three days ago and uh, and he welled up and he was just saying, so, oh my god oh wow good like good good for you as in I I didn't appreciate well look not that I didn't appreciate that I don't want to sound ungrateful for someone's um compassion and someone's good energy and good thoughts he it, he was lovely really lovely but it was first of all the good for you I don't like the assumption and I don't think we talk about it enough that you don't even though we're all doing it you don't have to turn your diagnosis into this positive thing you don't have to make the most of what's happened and really you know turn something bad into something good you can also you can just be really really upset and sad about this chapter in your life and you can move on from it I don't think we talk enough about how people might not want to see the positive or be brave and be these powerful inspiring people we presume that we presume that young people when something that shouldn't happen to us does it's assumed that we'll make something of it it's the such heavy dollops of sympathy and you could see in his eyes he immediately saw me differently after I told him it was like oh there's this obviously like pretty sexy whatever young woman and then as soon as I said I had cancer a few years ago that's how I ended up with this job it was it was there was a weight behind his eyes he was sad and he I could see that say he saw colourful auras around me. I don't even know if I believe in this stuff, but like say he saw me as like pink, really lovely. Woo, all my energy, all my colours were pink and sparkly because that's often how I present myself and how I choose to be perceived and how I how I like to feel and present. Uh, it just became grey. I just I could see the cloud, the, the way he viewed me changed and became from sparkly to cloudy because I'd had this trauma happen to me. And um, I don't, and and I hate, I really hate, whether I feel sad about it or not, whether all three of us feel really bloody sad when we reflect on our diagnosis or whether it's current things like fertility, whatever. The assumption that we are sad or sad people or seen as these weighed down beings because of this thing that happened I think it's really unfair and I don't want the sympathy all the time um and I think it's lost the um the sort of the joy in the joy in it he didn't ask about the comedy he didn't ask about what I enjoy about the job it was the the tunnel vision as soon as I said I had cancer the focus was on that sadness the good for you that sort of thing and I don't think we talk enough about the fact that we're not just people that had cancer like it's something that happened and would affect us for the rest of our lives but it's not our one defining feature why don't we talk about all the other good stuff where where are those conversations about how good I've got at cooking over lockdown but no one cares because I had cancer but if I hadn't had cancer people would want my spinach pancake recipe
1: what do young adult cancer patients know that people who haven't had cancer don't know what experiences have they had that others might not have done Well, this section aims to explore just that. Not Your Average is a chance for our storytellers to share some of their experiences and some of their stories that set them apart from other people.
2: So I want to talk about my first stand-up comedy gig, which was a year after my surgery. And I had always thought I was funny, which is the most conceited thing I've ever said. But I didn't think I was funny enough to stand alone with a microphone. I just thought I'm funny in social situations and people enjoy my banter in a group and, you know, a bit of a laugh. Uh, But then about after my first checkup, so after the first three months where, you know, um, it was going okay, We started to get this upward trajectory of life isn't over. I thought, right. And so many funny things had happened, which I'm sure we'll discuss in the the next section. But so many funny things had happened. And because it was my vagina and it was sex and it was so cringe, so many things that happened, I thought, how have I not got five minutes? It's comedy, not of my life left. Don't panic. Um, How, you know, how, how surely I can get a five minute routine out of this. And if it goes badly, at least I did it. But I knew that I would at least have an okay gig the first time I did the five minutes. Because I had cancer and it was my first gig. And I was telling people I'd had cancer and it was my first gig within the five minutes. So they couldn't hate me. So They had to be nice to me. And I'm hoping my material sort of was good enough. Um, but it was the best feeling ever. And weirdly, even though I was just saying about how the bad gigs, who cares? You know, I probably care... Less, not that it matters less, but I probably am less distressed by them than people that maybe haven't gone through this and that do comedy. But I say all of that and I'm completely undercutting myself because when I first did stand up, I was waiting in the wings. So the MC was on, the person before me had just come off, MC went back on, and I was behind the sort of side curtains, and there were steps going up to the stage from the side. I was waiting at the bottom of the stairs at the side of the stage. And I had never been more scared in my life there's three times I've been petrified in my life I found out I had cancer I took my driving test and when I did my stand-up first stand-up gig and the stand-up gig was the most nerve-wracking and I thought okay this is very absurd that I'm more nervous to do five minutes of comedy than I was to you know have life-saving surgery but there you go um so again the thing my little kind of secret weapon because i've had cancer that other people my age and in my situation don't get or don't have because they haven't had cancer is that when something doesn't go as perfectly as you would like it to it doesn't matter
0: The last section of Afterthoughts is to dive into the don't laugh section. Now, we've had a lot of laughs with Karen already today, um, and she has importantly mentioned how great it is and important to talk about some of the, the funny sides of cancer. So we're going to hand over to Karen right now to hear the don't laugh section.
2: Okay, well, I mean, I've tried to make a career out of this, so the pressure's on, but I knew something was up in terms of, OK, this is pretty bloody funny what's going on. When after um, I first found out that I was diagnosed and I, as I said earlier, was told about the HPV virus and that it's passed on through sexual contact. And my dad was like, how did that scan go? And I said, you know, fine, but I just feel quite tired. And he's and he was like wanting to make sure I rested And this is one of my first funny moments where I thought I'm going to do some comedy out of this one day. Because bearing in mind, I just found out about the HPV virus and how it's passed on. My dad, who sometimes gets his words mixed up, and I told him I was tired after the the scan and and the appointment. He said, oh, Karen, well, make sure you just keep your legs up. And he he meant put my feet up. But he said... Keep your legs up. And I said, Dad, that's what got me into this situation in the first place. (laughs) And I thought, this is a gift that keeps on giving. And from then on, every appointment, I've told this story in my show that I've done and you would have both heard it, but I went for the MRI scan to find out if the cancer had spread and Daniel Powter's bad day was played through the earphones. They said, do you want some music? classical or pop because there's like two channels I said pop because I'm fun and it was like where is the moment you needed the most as I was strapped into this pelvic brace in the MRI machine <laughs> waiting to see if it had spread to like my wing it was like you had a bad day and, and they're saying you know you have to do all the funny breathing hold your breath and okay breathe now and da 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 and I was shit you know your your core is the thing that shakes when you're trying not to laugh isn't it but that's the exact place they were trying to scan and was braced up so my body is like shaking in the pelvic bra because I'm crying with laughter you had a bad day I was like no shit sherlock yes <laughs> so my dad said he's like heat your legs up that's how I got here um bad day in the uh, in the MRI machine oh my god somewhat like a nurse oh it just just so many horrible horribly horribly tragically beautiful moments like when I came out of the um surgery and the morphine had started to kick in oh no oh no I woke up in the recovery bit of the theatre bit whatever you want to call it um and I didn't recognise the people, you know, they sort of regulate your temperature, etc. And I didn't recognise any of the staff, why would I, that were in the theatre suite. And um, so to just have gone at that point. I was getting panicky and a bit loopy already. And my surgeon came up to the end of the bed, very well, this is like a five hour operation, taking out cervix, round tissue, upper part of the vagina and lymph nodes. And he came to the end of the bed to obviously check that I'd woken up. Um, And I was really relieved to see him because I was quite panicky. I recognised him. So I was like, you know, I held my hand out to him and he held my hand. And I was just so happy to see him. And I then was like, oh, God, sorry. What am I doing? You're my doctor. I can't hold your hand. And he said, Karen, I've been in your vagina for five hours. (laughs) We can hold hands.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Karen, Karen. uh, for coming on and Brightening, brightening this gloomy day. Um,
2: I have had such a good time talking to you too. What a joy. I'm beaming. I know listeners can't see our faces, they can only hear our voices. So I hope people can hear the joy in my and, voice and thank I was, you
0: i was so worried because we started on such a bad note when you discovered that <laughs> Alice didn't drink tea, and you were in tears before we started and i was like this oh this,
2: god this oh, toby the thing is when you when you survive cancer at a young age you become very resilient so That's i was so able to adapt back. to the situation and bounce back <laughs> yeah i survived the situation <laughs> survived um no
1: it's been so fab having you on and oh such a good time bounce back from the tea revelation and I hope in time you will forgive me and let me back
2: into your heart we should call chapter one of this the tea and the tears (laughs) yeah I just hope people can hear the joy in my voice thank you so much this was a blast
1: Thanks,
0: Karen. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Bye. Bye. So, Alice, that was Karen Hobbs. Oh,
1: cancer's Karen Hobbs. God, love her.
0: Um, Karen Hobbs uh, just like hit the <laughs> hit the ground running. Really, can <laughs> we just quickly note how quick how quick her quick fire round answers and how seriously she took though that that pressure.
1: I mean she said she had chest pains um she was yeah she was in it from the get go she was uh, she was not taking any prisoners with those questions was she
0: I do feel bad that um uh, you made her cry
1: um <laughs> I know I'm sorry <laughs> I, to be fair though she's right what like we've done we've had 14 at least 14 episodes of this podcast and no <laughs> no one's ever cried Karen comes on the podcast and within what like five minutes not even that I make her cry because I don't drink tea what's that
0: about tea that's the impact you're having that's the impact you are having I know Um, but wasn't it great to have Karen on the podcast and to like we 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 know her um as a storyteller and it's been incredible to hear like lots of stories I've not heard before as well I don't know about you
1: Yeah, absolutely. It was really nice to... Because, like you say, obviously, we have both seen Karen's show, Tumour Has It, and um, I've heard Karen talk through her work with the Eva Peel, and, um, you know, she speaks a lot about her cancer experience. But, yeah, there were a lot of stories in there that I hadn't heard before, and it was really great. And I know I talk about this a lot on the podcast, but, again, just how generous Karen was with those stories. And I tell you what, if there is anyone who embodies how important it is to laugh about cancer and to explore the kind of lighter side of cancer because it is so heavy and it is so difficult. But if anybody embodies how important it is to explore all of the sides of cancer i think it's karen and i think she did that so well through throughout this episode and explores the the different sides of it and the 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 light and the dark it's
0: how she makes the stories and the dark accessible by talking about the light and it's how she takes us on that that kind of journey and that's why like we do afterthoughts like we're so keen to hear stories so we can allow our listeners to go on that journey with the storyteller and she is just like a master of that so it's been incredible so alice tell me tell me um what were your
1: afterthoughts on today's episode uh so my afterthoughts on today's episode of afterthoughts are that there is no right or wrong way to do cancer i'm sure i've said it before if i haven't I'll probably say it again at some point. But this kind of reflects back particularly to what Karen was saying in the invisible impact section. but yeah, there's no right or wrong way to do cancer. There's no right or wrong way to do life after cancer. There's no right or wrong way to do cancer treatment. And I think it's really important that we remember each cancer patient has their own narrative and they are in control of that narrative. And there's, there's no right or wrong way to do it. You know, if you want to be the brave, strong survivor, then great, that's for you. If you want to pretend that it never happened, then great, that's for you. I just think it's really important that every person who goes through cancer does whatever feels right for them and i think that's what we do here with afterthoughts as well it's about recognizing that everyone's experience is different and just allowing space for that um that's my afterthought on this episode toby what about you what's your afterthought on this episode of afterthoughts
0: i was going to ask a a quick just follow-up though and just to say so do you think like because i'm just going to use this as an example right going if you've got if um is there a wrong way like is there a wrong way to do um after after a diagnosis do you, see, I don't do you believe think? so
1: you know i think there there may be possibly less healthy ways to deal with it but i think even if you do like if you decide that you don't want to deal with it. You want to put it in a box and pretend that it never happened. I don't necessarily think that that's a particularly healthy way, but I think that you've you've got to feel it to heal it and eventually you will be forced to confront it and therefore um, you will eventually have to deal with it. So that, you know, if, if you want to pretend it never happened, then I think that's right at the time for you. Mm. Um, and I think then you will deal with it when you're ready to deal with it
0: did I ever tell you Alice, about the uh, time when uh, so after my first diagnosis and I I went down that route of going don't want to talk about it at all and like look at me now come on <laughs> um but like I, I like I was so determined that I just wanted to get back with my, on with my life at the age, of, yeah. the age of 19 I was like I'm not going to talk about it I just want I don't want anybody to know about it let's just keep it shtum. let's get back on I'm now just back to being Toby I remember uh, there's this game uh, that um, some sometimes played in drama circles, right? mm. Literal drama circles, like circles <laughs> that you're in. And um, it was going. Um, it's called um, what's the most interesting thing? Uh, no, te- um, it's tell us something that we can't tell from looking at you.
1: Oh,
0: right. And so it's going around, and it was a massive circle of like. Um, it, it, like 100 people or something everyone's going around saying this thing and I remember like just watching as um, the, it was going around the circle and I was thinking oh my god it's like this is coming around to me and I, I, like what do I say like the only thing I could think is it's like like, it was going off my brain and it's like cancer, 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 yeah. cancer, 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 and I anxiety was so so, 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 so strong and stuff and as it's coming round and around I'm just like uh, I juggle <laughs> and then it carried on and I just remember being like this utter kind of wreck after that just like this feeling and like I yeah it's that uh, I think you bring up a really good point of that you just like there's there's like finding the right way for you to be able to to tell your story and and like that doesn't need to be telling it to anybody else it can just be telling it to yourself and finding comfort in the way that you can share those experiences and that sometimes that comes straight away sometimes that comes like years down the line but perhaps that being open to the fact is, (coughs) is is an important part of it I don't know
1: yeah I always panic when you're in a when you're in one of those scenarios and somebody says like what's the most interesting thing about you yeah I'm always like oh god is there anything interesting about me other than the fact that I've had cancer like I can never think of anything else yeah. And I'm like, there must be something. Yeah. There must, there, there must be. But, but what is it? <laughs> I can never think of anything. So I'm just like, ah, ah, I had cancer. Ah. Um, but yeah, Toby, what is your afterthought on today's episode of Afterthoughts?
0: Well, I, I just really thinking about what Karen was saying about the like, again, this like length of time as well, and how mm. like sometimes those though like our our relationship to our diagnosis changes as we get older and as as we're uh, like if we experience it as a young person and we're going still through formative years how we might still be uh yeah like might be getting years beyond the initial diagnosis but the kind of the feelings and the kind of the ways that you're responding to it can can and will will continue to change and That it isn't going to be a case of that it's suddenly gone and stuff. And how that acceptance of that being an important part of it, of how we continue to relate to a formative moment that is potentially in our past. And what does that mean for us as human beings going forward? That sounded deeper than I wanted it to be. Look at that, Alice. <laughs> I'm going
1: gonna, I'm gonna to make it lighter in oh, a way. Okay, great. Okay. Like the, the way I think about it, the way I, I like, I, I tried to think about it. In like, I love going to Glastonbury. Right, I've been to Glastonbury five times now,
0: mm.
1: and I wouldn't be afraid to talk about that. So why should I be? Why should I be afraid to talk about? Cancer, or why, like, you know, things that happened at Glastonbury have impacted my life in various ways. So, of course, having cancer when I was 26 is going to impact my life. Mm. And of course, like, that's going to have a parallel impact. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like, of course, yeah. Just, I know that ma- that makes it like a really trivial. It seemed like a really trivial thing, but if something as simple as going to Glastonbury can have an impact on my life and continues to have an impact on my life, like it's impacted the way we've decorated the living room, for God's sake! Like Glastonbury
0: of, or your cancer, sorry,
1: Glastonbury. Right, um, like, of course, cancer's going to impact my life and at, at different stages of my mm. life, you know. Are you telling me, Alice, that your dad's not
0: uh, turning around and telling you you need to get over that Glastonbury experience? All right, it's been right. <laughs> it's been a while now, Alice. Get over Stop it. Stop
1: talking what? about the Rolling Stones. Get over
0: <laughs> it. All right, come on, right. Um, Alice, what an incredible episode. Thank you so much to Karen uh, for being with us and uh, for being part of Arthur Thoughts.
1: And thanks, as always, to our lovely listeners for tuning in and um, spending their time with us. Um, we'll be back in your ear holes um, as soon as you can say Jack Robinson.
0: Jack Robinson. <laughs>
1: Well, they might have another episode to listen to. All right. Bye. Bye.
0: If today's episode of Afterthoughts has brought up any thoughts or feelings that you'd like to speak to someone about, we really recommend grabbing a couple with a friend or dropping them a message. There are tons of charities out there who can help you if you've been through cancer and need a bit of extra psychological support.
1: Thanks so much to Trekstock for supporting another series of Afterthoughts. Trekstock helps young adults diagnosed with cancer to get moving again after cancer stops them in their tracks and the work they do is incredible. Find out more at
2: trekstock.com.